Welcome to the Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Fertig. It is the 21st of January, 2016, Thursday afternoon, the 11th of Shvat, 5775. Tuba coming up this Monday. And you're listening to the Stunt Show, airing Thursdays at 1 Eastern on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you very much for uh, spending part of your day with us. Hope you'll spend all day with us here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Today's show is a bit of a uh, collision of the personal and the professional for me. Long story short, it was the better part of a year ago I decided I uh, would like to find a new professional setting. That was a long time ago. And I'm thrilled that last Wednesday I began uh, as the Chief Communications Officer at the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. It's got health care, which is a bit of a passion of mine. It's got Israel, which is certainly a passion of mine. It's the whole package. So uh, I'm, glad to, uh, I'm glad to have met Rachel Wolf, who's the CEO of uh, the American Committee for Shari Tzedek. And there's a lot to learn, of course. Uh, anytime you start a new job, there's a lot to learn, and I'm digging in. But when the opportunity presents itself to learn about your job from the person who knows more about it than anybody else in the world, well, of course, I jumped at that opportunity. And so I'm glad that you folks are here to listen with me as I learn about it. My guest is Professor Jonathan Halevi. He's the Director General of Sharit Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Welcome back to the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you for having me. It is my great pleasure and honor. Thank you. Uh, you know, Shari, uh, American Committee for Shari Tzedek and Shari Tzedek Medical Center are uh, also involved with something exciting uh, with the Nachum Siegel Network. You heard Nachum mention yesterday that uh, the next phase of the Jewish Unity Initiative is, is going on, and the uh, network, Nachum, is going to Israel in early February. One of his stops along the way will be Shari Tzedek Medical Center, so we're very excited about that. Um, Professor Halevi, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself to start? Well, I was born in Israel a few weeks after the declaration of statehood back in uh, 1948. And uh, I was raised uh, in Tel Aviv. Uh, I'm a graduate of the Bet Sefer Mamlachti Dati, the Israeli National Zionist Educational System, both elementary school and high school. I'm a graduate of the first class of Tel Aviv University Medical School, starting uh, my studies back in 1966 uh, in the academic reserve. The academic reserve in Israel is uh, intended to uh, supply uh, doctors to the Israeli army, so the army takes uh, every year a few tens of high school graduates and uh, send them to medical school before they serve in the army. Really? I graduated in uh, 1973. Uh, when my mother wanted me, my late mother wanted me to uh, go to medicine before I go to the army, she predicted peace back in 1966. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the summer between my first year of medical school and second year, I served as a medic in the Six-Day War, and I graduated my uh, internship on uh, September 1st, 1973. was drawn immediately to the Suez Canal, served for four years as a medical officer, then did my uh, residency in internal medicine in uh, Bellinson Medical Center, today Rabin's Medical Center, and then a fellowship in gastroenterology with an emphasis on liver diseases up in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, at Yale uh, Medical School. I've heard of it. And uh, then uh, went back um, to serve as an uh, acting chief of uh, one of the medical departments Departments of Internal Medicine in Bellinson Rabin Medical Center. And a couple of years later, that was back in 1987, I was offered the job of Director General of Shari Sedek Medical Center. 
Then a small uh, community hospital with a little bit over 300 beds in the center of Jerusalem in a very nice building that was inaugurated uh, a decade before in the late 70s by my predecessor, Professor David Mayer of uh, blessed uh, memory. I came on board in uh, 1988, and this is my uh, 28th year as director of the hospital. 28th year. 28 years. Uh, the hospital grew from uh, 300 and something beds to 1,000 beds. It's one of the biggest uh, hospitals in Israel now. It serves uh, the Jerusalem community in particular, but the Israeli community at large. We have many patients from outside the catchment area of the hospital, which is the greater Jerusalem metropolitan area. Right. Uh, in uh, many, many fields, I believe that uh, the mission of uh, any hospital in the world is actually um, has four missions. One is uh, to save life. The other is to ease physical and emotional pain, then to train the next generations of uh, physicians, nurses, and other allied uh, professions to medicine. And uh, the fourth mission is to do research. And I believe uh, Shari Sedek today fulfills uh, the four missions uh, big time in many, many areas. On the way, if I'll just conclude talking about myself, mm -hmm. on the way I served on uh, various uh, committees and uh, uh, fulfilled a few tasks that uh, were actually um, given to me or, or I was asked to fulfill by the Minister of Health. I served between 2000 and 2006 as the chairman of the Israel Transplant Center that is accountable to the public for fair allocation of this scarce commodity called organs for donation. It's uh, really a very interesting uh, topic that has uh, medical, ethical, halachic aspects that I dealt with as chairman for six years. Then uh, Israel experienced during my tenure a severe shortage of uh, physicians and I had the privilege to serve as the chairman of the committee appointed by the Council of Higher Education in Israel back in 2007 that had to decide if Israel needed more medical schools. And we decided to establish the fifth medical school in Sfat in the Galilee. Wow. Which really, um, now the first graduates of this medical school are now appearing in the Israeli market and helping to solve the shortage in physicians. Actually, the shortage in physicians was created by the fact that we had many Russian physicians coming in to Israel between 1990 and 1995. They were middle-aged at that time. They are right. retiring in uh, recent years. And um, so uh, what I did is really running Shari Tzedek, trying to develop it with my management team, and uh, in parallel, involve myself in various academic and developmental issues in the Israeli healthcare system. This is uh, the time to say that uh, this fast, unprecedented growth of Shari Tzedek would not be possible without the American friends of Shari Tzedek here in New York, because uh, most of the money, you know, the board of Shari Tzedek expects us, the management team, to balance the operating budget. But for development projects, projects to replace equipment that mm -hmm. became obsolete to build new departments. And we built over 40 departments and units in these 28 years. Really? Um, we are totally dependent on generosity of uh, friends from around the world mm -hmm. 
and uh, our friends here in the U.S. in general, in New York in particular, are the most uh, active uh, friends of the hospital and developing it for the benefit of the people of Jerusalem and Israel the way we did would not be possible without their help. Understood. For this we are very grateful. Do you still practice medicine personally? Yes, I do uh, practice medicine. Um, <clears throat> I did give up a department of internal medicine with uh, 38 beds that I ran until uh, last year. Mm -hmm. You know, in Israel, the official retirement age is 67, which I passed a few months ago. <laughs> uh, nope. It's not compulsory, and I'm not uh, about to retire, but I decided that uh, it would be only fair to give chance a younger physician to run the department. Right. But I'm still involved in morning rounds, and I run a liver clinic at Shari Tzedek, and I do devote 25 to 30 percent of my time to clinical work. Very, very interesting. And I understand that since the hospital's founding in 1902, you are only the fourth director general. Yeah. I believe that one of the virtues of our hospital mm -hmm. that employs today 3,500 employees, I believe most of them come to work every day happily. And one of the virtues of the hospital is that it retains its employees because it's a pleasant place to come to work to. And this is manifested by the fact that in 114 years, actually, we opened our gates in Tubishvat, Tafresh, Samechbet, January 27, 1902. So in a few days, we will celebrate our 114th anniversary since we opened our gates. Wow. Decision to establish the hospital was accepted by a group of German and Dutch Jews that convened in Frankfurt back in 1873. But we are 114 years old, and yes, I am the fourth director general. The first and the founding director was Dr. Wallach of blessed memory. Right. And uh, he served as the director of the hospital from 1902 to 1947. Wow. But he was single and lived on the oh, premises. Really? He started with 20 beds, mm -hmm. ended with around 100 beds in 1947. And uh, then the second director general was uh, Dr. Falk Schlesinger, who served from the late 40s to the late 60s. And then my predecessor, Professor David Mayer, from the late 60s to the mid-80s. That's fascinating. Very, very interesting. Uh, you referred to the catchment area of the hospital. Obviously, it's the greater Jerusalem area, the surrounding uh, suburbs, I don't know what the proper term is necessarily, um, but it, it is a tremendous area. Obviously, an ER is, is the focal point in many ways, but a hospital has to be a lot of things to a lot of people. What are some of the areas in which Shari Tzedek excels as, as, as a hospital? Well, <laughs> every hospital in the world develops centers of excellence. Mm -hmm. Medicine today is so costly and so specialized, many of us believe over-specialized, that uh, no hospital in the world can offer the community that it serves mm -hmm. everything that modern medicine has to offer. So hospitals develop centers of excellence. In Jerusalem, it's very easy to define a center of excellence. If around 50% of the patients coming to this department are from outside the catchment area of the hospital, if a citizen of Haifa or Kriyat Shmona or Tzfat mm -hmm. or Be'er Sheva or Eilat decides to come to Sharei Tzedek to do his bariatric surgery or to do his open-heart surgery, that shows that it's a center of excellence. So we developed, in the last three decades, we developed our centers of excellence only according to one 
consideration, and this is the needs of the community. We did not put emphasis on the financial aspect, although it's very important. Sure. In Kemach and Torah, right. of course, it's very important. We did not put emphasis on considerations of prestige, and I'll bring an example in a minute. We looked at the needs of the community. And to bring you a very prominent example, back in the early 90s, Patients in Israel were waiting, were waiting for a cardiac procedure. By cardiac procedure, I mean stenting, mm -hmm. catheterization, or open-heart surgery for months and months, some of them dying while waiting. Wow. Sounds very strange to Americans, to Americans, but if you ask any um, citizen of the British, of, of England, of the UK, uh, what's the waiting time? They will tell you that there are waiting times there. But the waiting oh, time without, without getting into politics, it's the nightmare of Americans right now. It's the nightmare of yeah. Americans. You are right, and uh, I believe Obamacare will be integrated without waiting lists because the financial incentives are still there. Right. So maybe the Obamacare is picture the socialized medicine, but uh, actually without. Um, you know, negotiating with the American Medical Association, with the pharmaceutical industry, and with the insurance company, right. companies on uh, on uh, on the financial aspect, you're still going to spend around 20% of your gross domestic product, as opposed to 7.6 in Israel, on uh, healthcare, and there will be no waiting list. I'm not worried from that. But in the early 90s in Israel, mm -hmm. there were waiting lists for cardiac procedure, and that's when we um, suggested to our board to establish a large comprehensive heart center. Uh, the chairman of the board at that time was the late Ludwig Jesselson, mm -hmm. who gave us not the seed money, who gave us a large part, $12 million out of the $30 million that were the cost in the early 90s. And we built a 70,000 square feet floor devoted to heart diseases the largest department of cardiology in Israel with coronary care unit, three catheterization laboratories, and on the other side of the floor, a large department of cardiothoracic surgery. We dedicated operation theaters just for heart surgery. Really? We inaugurated this project in May 1994. It's now 21, almost 22 years old, and we treated and operated there tens of thousands of patients we are very innovative in the new aspects of cardiology. It is since uh, 2008, 2009, that you can replace a valve in the cat lab instead of open-out surgery. We were the first. It's called TAVER, transcutaneous aortic valve replacement. We were the first in Israel to do it, and then other cardiac units followed. Uh, there is a procedure called mitral clip where you can fix one of the failing valves of the heart without opening the chest. Again, in the cat lab, we were the first in Israel to do it. So it's an innovative center that attracts uh, patients from all over Israel, mainly for complex uh, interventional cardiological procedures, heart catheterizations, and for open-heart surgery. So this is uh, one example. Uh, we didn't even ask for license to do transplants to do heart transplants. Didn't ask Why? for license. We did not, because as I told you, we do not work on prestige. We work on the needs of the community. Right. All over Israel, and this relates to organ donation, they do between 25 and 30 heart transplants a year. 
not more than that. There are many more patients in need. Technically, it's less complicated to do a heart transplant than the complex coronary bypass surgery or valve replacement. And uh, there are thousands of coronary bypass and valve surgeries in Israel here, and we wanted to contribute where there was a need. There was not a need for another transplant center. And that really emphasizes that the approach of Shari Tzedek is with the face to the community. What the community needs, we right. give them. Not to reinvent the wheel. Not to reinvent the wheel. Another center of excellence, of course, has to do with women's health. And I'm using the term women's health and not deliveries because deliveries is only one part of it. One aspect. Again, one aspect, because uh, Jerusalem is a very prolific city, <laughs> both among the ultra-Orthodox Jews right. and the ultra-Orthodox Zionists and non-Zionists, and, non and uh, to a certain extent among the ultra-Orthodox Muslims. It's true that the uh, Arab population of Jerusalem, which counts now 34% of the one million people of the greater Jerusalem area, the 820,000 people of the city itself, right. uh, but there are a few uh, hospitals, including a big maternity on Mount Olives, and uh, they come uh, to Shari Tzedek and to Adassa for high-risk pregnancies. But uh, again, along the years, in my 28-year tenure, we renovated, expanded, and built almost every few years additional maternity. We added uh, delivery rooms because today we are considered to be one of the largest maternities in the Western world. We finished 2015 deliveries, delivering over 22 Babies. It's an astounding number. With, it is an astounding number with a very low cesarean section rate. This is considered to be, mm -hmm. uh, to a certain extent, it depends on the population, a quality measure of our performance. And um, I'm just trying to imagine if we did not follow with rapid development and expansion of these maternity services, uh, Jerusalem women would not be able to give birth. Right. in a hospital these days. So this is also a very visionary project. But as I said, women's health does not end with uh, delivering safely. Right. Uh, it has a fertility aspect, and we were pioneers in assisted reproduction technology, mm -hmm. named, known more uh, as IVF, in vitro fertilization. And we have one of the largest um, laboratories in the world to perform PGD, and I would like to explain because the public knows almost everything about IVF since Stepton and Edwards did the first IVF procedure back in 1978 right. in the UK. I think every layman knows what in vitro fertilization is and how it actually almost solved completely the infertility problem in the world. Almost. Very few, almost. I say almost because if unfortunately a man is born without the ability to produce spermatic cells, sperm, or God forbid a woman is born or without an ovary or without an ability to produce eggs, right. uh, modern medicine did not learn, and uh, as a believing Jew, I believe, will never learn to produce the basic human unit of the human body, and that's the cell. So we cannot produce cells. Right. You don't but think once that will ever there happen. is, I don't think it will ever happen. But once there is an ovum, an egg, mm -hmm. and there is a sperm, we can connect them in the test tube, and everybody knows about it. But PGD 
is a newer technology. PGD mm -hmm. stands for pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. When a couple has a child at home affected with one of the many today, it's over 150 monogenic diseases, disease caused by mutation of one gene, by one mutation that it is recognized now in modern science. We know what is the defected gene, or if they do not have an affected child at home, but we know that both parents are carriers of the gene. Mm -hmm. We advise these couples, although they do not suffer from infertility, they have no fertility problem, but we advise them to uh, plan their next pregnancy through in vitro. In in vitro fertilization, you stimulate the ovary of the mother to produce 10 to 15 ova. 10 to 15 eggs, you harvest these eggs, you fertilize all of them right. with the sperm of the husband. And so you have 10 or 15 embryos right. in the test tube. According to the laws of genetics, if we are talking about a dominant disease, 50% of them statistically will be affected. Right. If it's a recessive disease, only 25%. We can select a healthy embryo implanted in the womb Right. And we have over 400 healthy babies born in Sharetzedek in the last seven years from this PGD technology. We did not invent it. Actually, I have to mention here the name uh, Rabbi David Fuld, who was the main um, driving force that came to us with the financing close to 10 years ago. Right. And they financed this uh, department, but we became one of the largest in the world for many, many reasons. Some of them is the religious approach not to do amniocentesis. And here we offer a couple who will not abort and will not stop pregnancy. Right. Uh, we offer them a perfectly, halachically recognized by the strictest ruler procedure before pregnancy, right. before we implant the embryo in the womb to guarantee a healthy baby. My guest is uh, Professor Jonathan Halevi. He's the fourth director general of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. My name is Mayor Furtick. You're listening to The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. It's Thursday, the 21st of January, the 11th of Shvat, Tu B'Shvat, this Monday. And we just learned from uh, Professor Halevi that Tu B'Shvat uh, marks the 114th anniversary of the opening of the doors of Shari Tzedek Medical Center, which is uh, a remarkable thing to consider. Today it is the uh, the central address for health care in the Jerusalem area, and uh, that is uh, that is pretty pretty amazing. So we're glad to have Professor Halebi here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and we're glad to have you here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Uh, stay tuned after the show from 2 to 5 is Throwback Thursday. We'll have a vintage episode of JM in the AM, and uh, stay tuned for uh, the, the surprise uh, unveiling of which episode that is. From 7 to 8 tonight, an hour of Jewish soul with Charlie Bernhout, and then uh, JM in the AM uh, replayed at midnight, the JM in the AM encore presentation. And then uh, tune in tomorrow, Nachum uh, with JM in the AM from 6 to 9 on JM in the AM on 91.1 FM, 90.1 of the Catskills around the world on the web at jmtheam.org and the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsegel.com. Oh, and of course, in Rockland County on 91.9 FM. So uh, we'll continue our conversation with uh, Professor Jonathan Halevi of Shari Tzedek. Uh, you, you mentioned just now the, uh, the, the issue of uh, halacha and how that could uh, play a, an important role, a key role in, uh, in preventing 
in preventing uh, the the continuation of genetic diseases that are so common and uh, unfortunately uh, in Jewish families, in Ashkenazi Jewish families in particular. But that brings me to another point, and I'd let, we can get back to that. But I'm curious in, about the fact that Shari Tzedek has the distinction of being a halakhically run medical facility in general. I don't know if it's the only such facility, is it? No, it's not the only such facility, but it calls for explanation. Mm -hmm. The founders of the hospital back in 1873 were uh, modern Orthodox German and Dutch Jews, actually the the disciples of uh, Rav Shimshon Raphael Hirsch, Mm -hmm. and they decided, 1873, that the hospital that they are founding will forever be run according to the Jewish law. Just to remind you, we are talking about a time long before modern medicine brought our doorsteps, ethical, ethical dilemmas. I'm not talking about halachic, ethical dilemmas that may have halachic solutions, but every healthcare professional in the world today copes with ethical dilemmas that did not exist, that run from preconception, if to do stem cell research on fertilized embryos, all through the lifetime of every individual, you know, priorities in admission to intensive care unit, uh, definition of uh, brain death for the sake of organ donation, Mm -hmm. and all through the way to end-of-life care. So this is not a Jewish problem. This is an ethical problem that was brought to our doorstep by modern medicine, and there are many more such dilemmas that I did not mention. We at Sharet Tzedek, and it fills me with a great pride, we give the Jewish answer, the Jewish halachic answers to these ethical dilemmas. And uh, to be more specific, we have the Schlesinger Institute, named after the second director general of the hospital, Dr. Mm-hmm. Falk Schlesinger, of blessed memory, which is actually the world production house for uh, publications on uh, modern medical ethics uh, dilemmas and uh, what is the Jewish answer to these dilemmas. The researchers uh, in these institutes, many of them are world-renowned like uh, Rabbi Professor Abraham Steinberg and uh, Dr. Halperin, um, publish a lot on the topic and uh, we believe that if you do the proper medical halachic research, every breakthrough in modern medicine can be practiced according to our ancient Jewish law. PGD is one example right. that uh, was given and heter by everybody, including the late Ravel Yashiv, who was the greatest mm-hmm. Ashkenazi Posek of uh, our time, and everybody recognizes it. And I think this is really the deep meaning that Sharet Tzedek is, in inverted commas, a religious hospital. The fact that we have the best Hersher, I think, is very technical. Mm-hmm. The fact that Shabbat along the corridors of the hospital is different than in other hospitals. It's not technical. Technical, it's very spiritual, but it doesn't have an effect on the practice of medicine. Right. I believe that the fact that we serve as a daily proof that every breakthrough in medicine can be practiced according to the Jewish law, according to halacha, if the proper research is done, this is a fact that uh, fills me with great pride. There are a few other hospitals in Israel, like Laniado, like Bikur Cholim, which we took over, right. like Maine Shua in Neibarak, but uh, 
none of them has all these aspects of modern medicine that uh, we cover. You're talking about small community hospitals right. and not the tertiary care center that Charit Sedek is today. Right. That is, that is a remarkable that is a remarkable statement. Uh, I'm curious, though. You mentioned that Shabbos is different. How? Well, <clears throat> you know, a simplistic approach mm-hmm. to Shabbat will say that anybody in a hospital is pikuach nefesh, is risk to life or at least safek pikuach nefesh, right. remote risk to life. And we all know that the most sacred rule in Judaism is that you are committed to desecrate the Shabbat if there is any danger, even remote danger, even safek, even a doubt of a danger to life. But if you do not endorse this simplistic approach and you look at the various tasks, melachot, that are performed in a hospital on Shabbat, like warming the food, uh, like many other technical aspects, they are not necessarily pikuach nefesh, right. not even safek pikuach nefesh. So we do it uh, the halachic way, Sometimes you've been using uh, Shabbos going for, you know, technical. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not proud of that because I believe I was brought up, uh, you know, as a religious uh, Zionist. And I believe that if we have uh, a state of our own and we can maintain the army during Shabbat right. and we can maintain uh, power stations during Shabbat, we have to find a way to maintain hospitals without a Shabbos Goy on Shabbat, and we mostly do it, but marginally we still use them. I believe that they will be replaced by grammar computers, by computers that can be operated on Shabbat in a hospital in the future. Right. Do you think that's coming? I believe so. Very interesting. Our guest is Professor Jonathan Halevi. He is the Director General of Sharet Tzedek Medical Center. And uh, something that I learned is that a large section of the hospital is actually underground. That was obviously by design. It wasn't just a a design fluke, I would assume. Uh, Could you talk about that a little bit? I have to give a lot of credit to my predecessor, Professor David Mayer, who was, uh, by the way, the chief of the pathology department here in New York in Einstein before he was brought, recruited by our board to run Sharetzelet. He was a man of vision. He had... uh, he believed in the future. We are talking about Jerusalem of the ni- early 1970s, between the Six-Day War and between the Yom Kippur War, and up to the mid-70s, uh, when Aliyah was not the greatest. He was a great believer in the future of development of Jerusalem. And uh, concomitantly, he, of course, knew that Jerusalem is prone to terror, prone to wars, and maybe even predicted that prone to missiles that so far did not land in Jerusalem, but we are definitely under this, this, this threat. So when he selected the site mm-hmm. to build a new hospital, to move us from the building that opened in 1902 on Jaffa Road, which today is a preserved building that houses the Israeli Broadcast Authority offices headquarters, to move us to Bayit Vagan, where we are today, across the street from Mount Herzl. First of all, he built hospital for 700 beds, although he had less than 300 at that time, and left the upper two floors empty. empty. Huh. And we filled it in the 1990s and in the early 2000s with our new maternities and with right. our comprehensive heart center. So he was a man of great vision. And one of his visions was, to build three out of the ten floors of the hospital underground. 
which really served us many times, even during the Gulf War in 1991, sure. we moved all our patients to the underground floors. Everyone. All the operation theaters at Sharei Tzedek are underground. So the emergency room is underground with an exit, yet you can go one side right. above ground. So uh, in terms of safety, he was really a man of uh, great vision, and uh, I'm the one who really uh, reaped the fruits of, uh, of his vision, and I'm always grateful to him. And uh, whenever we inaugurate a new unit, and on his 700 beds, we had 300 additional beds in our new next-generation building, and by the fact that we took over Bikur Cholim Hospital. Whenever we inaugurate a new unit in Sharit Tzedek, I mention Professor David Mayer and his vision. Deservedly so, clearly. So you mentioned the new building. There is a new building that's just essentially opened in the last number of months, I believe, for, yeah. for, well, for real? in 2015, we opened a building that uh, we call just adjacent to our main older building. Mm -hmm. We call it the next generation building because it contains everything that has to do with the next generation. A new maternity, a 70 bassinet NICU. NICU stands for mm -hmm. Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Anybody of the listeners who is familiar with sizes of neonatal intensive care units know, knows that 70 bassinet is really large That's in, tremendous. Uh, in international terms, probably the largest in the world, and it occupies one 15,000 square feet uh, floor in the hospital. Then we have uh, two floors of the Wilf Children's <laughs> Hospital dedicated to children. One of the floors is the inpatient floor, the other one is the outpatient floor with thousands of, I mean, I would say hundreds of children coming on a daily basis to be treated in our daycare center and to be uh, admitted. Um, we have the pediatric emergency room in this building and the other aspects of future generations, like our IVF PGD unit is located right. underground in this uh, in this building. So, um, well, there are aspects of this building that are underground as well? Yeah, but not three floors, only one floor mm -hmm. underground in this building. So, um, this is the last development project of Sharet Tzedek. We fundraised uh, $120 million to build, to furnish, and to equip mm -hmm. this building. And it's now serving the children of Jerusalem, the mothers of Jerusalem, and uh, the numbers are increasing since we opened it. We finished. 2015 with a record number of 25,000 children coming to our uh, pediatric emergency room and really the public, the Jerusalem families and the Jerusalem family physicians show a lot of confidence in this facility and in the superb physicians and nurses that man it. Right. That is, uh, that is very interesting. Uh, so you, you've talked a lot. You've given a lot of credit to your predecessor as a man of vision and uh, talked about the things that he did that set the stage for you to continue the uh, remarkable growth of Shari Tzedek. What are, what are your future priorities now that this new building is built? What's next? Well, <clears throat> there, as all your listeners, I'm sure, are aware of, uh, Jerusalem is undergoing a difficult period. So we developed uh, seven years ago an ultra-modern trauma center mm -hmm. in Jerusalem. And that's why you hear in the news that most of the victims of terror in the last three months in Jerusalem are brought to Sharet Tzedek. And the life-saving work there is tremendous. But we are a little bit lagging behind and we are determined 
to uh, cover this gap in 2016 in the approach to neurological uh, diseases. So the next project, Charit Sedek, that I hope to be able to complete with the help of donors from around the world is a neurological institute that will have three departments, three legs, a stroke unit, an interventional neuroradiology unit where stroke patients and other patients with brain aneurysm or brain hemorrhage are being treated. It's a kind of a catheterization laboratory and the Department of Neurosurgery. We are at the final stage of recruiting senior staff from Israel and from among Olim coming from this country, like a neurosurgeon that we recruited uh, recently, mm -hmm. and to open this facility before the end of the calendaric year 2016. So this is our next project. And for 2017, we will build an oncological radiotherapy center with accelerators, okay. which is the next development project. And this will close the circle and really will put Sharet Sedek on the map as a hospital that, as I said at the beginning of this interview, no hospital in the world can offer his patient everything that modern medicine has to offer. But we will be able to offer um, the Jerusalem community and the Israeli um, population um, a hospital that offers almost everything that modern medicine has to offer. What uh, what impact, aside from obviously the growth of, of the population of Israel and the population of the Jerusalem area, what, what impact has Aliyah had on the hospital? Well, first of all, we have many Rofim Olim. So let's... Uh, differentiate between the Russian Aliyah of mm -hmm. the early 90s, right. where I would say 25% of our physicians and nurses today came at that time to Israel. Some of them well-trained, some of them had to be retrained, and they fill very important positions in the hospital now, heads of departments, chief nurses of departments. Mm -hmm. I believe, as a sabre, that the best thing that happened to Israel in its almost 70 years, 68 years of existence is the Russian Aliyah, the one million Olim that came between 2000, between 1990 and 1995. That's such a fascinating statement. Yeah, I mean, that's what I believe. Well, you can talk about the immigration wave of 1948, 1949, mm -hmm. when the issue doubled its size, right. which is another thing. But I was a baby then. In my lifetime, I think the impact on healthcare, on academics, on engineering, on art, on music mm -hmm. of this Russian Aliyah is formidable. Now, let's talk about, as we say in Hebrew, Aliyah from Arzot Arvacha, from affluent countries. Right. Um, the U.S. being the leader, and maybe today France, France. Uh, is leading. So this is a completely different kind of Aliyah that had major impact on the hospital, because here you get people who are well-trained, affluent, do not need welfare, right. who come, most of them on ideological basis, for ideological reasons, and they also fill our hospital. Today, our head of anesthesia came from France. We have five heads of major departments who are from France, and we have tens of American physicians in senior and less senior positions in the hospital. The last of them is a neurosurgeon who came six months ago mm -hmm. and is already acted, active in our neurosurgical new activity in the hospital, Dr. John Weinstone, who came from the U.S. Right. What about nurses? Is it, is it 
easy or very difficult for somebody coming from another country to integrate themselves into that uh, that sort of field? It's much, e- much easier than for a lawyer. Because uh, for a lawyer, you know, Israel is a different, uh, we don't have a constitution, but different law. He really has to study actually from the beginning. Right. The human body is the human body, whether it resides in New York City, Jerusalem, or Central Africa. <laughs> that's one of the nice things about our profession. So you actually do not need much. There is a licensure procedure, but an American-trained nurse or an American-trained physician will easily be integrated into the Israeli healthcare system. As soon as they take their uh, their uh, medical uh, oh, licensure exam. Yeah, well, the, no, I'm thinking of the uh, what's the, uh, the the language course called? I'm blanking right now. Ulpan. Ulpan thank yeah. you. Yeah. Medical well, Ulpan. You have to yeah. speak Hebrew, although yeah. you know most of the Israeli patients speak English. Mm-hmm. I have examples, undesirable, of American physicians who came at a relatively old age, mm-hmm. you know, in their 50s or 60s, right. who never uh, gained good command of the Hebrew language, and they still practice in Israel. Really? But you are right. When you come earlier, there is a minimum uh, you know, demand for uh, command of Hebrew in order to be able to communicate with sure. patients. Not everybody in Israel uh, speaks English. Right. And many of those who do speak some broken English. I think the further you get from Yerushalayim also, the, the well, less Jew- English there Jerusalem might be. Jerusalem has a large community from English-speaking countries. You're right. I mean, that, that, was, that was my experience. Rana, Rana as well. Right. right. Uh, I remember uh, traveling to Israel for business a couple of years ago, and I do not speak Hebrew well at all. And uh, people said, oh, don't worry, everybody it's speaks English. I know, but it worries me, believe me. And I'd like to get there, to live there, so it really stresses me out. But uh, somebody, uh, people told me, oh, don't worry, everybody speaks English. And you know what? You go to a meeting in Kiryat Gat. No, they don't speak English. Not at all. Well, we study English from early stage in elementary school, but the right. teachers are not always superb. Right. And people differ in their linguistic uh, talents. But uh, right. you can get along with English in Israel. But right. when you have to talk to patients from all, you know, all segments of the population in Israel, you should better have uh, right. good command of the language. Don't feel bad, though, if uh, English teachers in Israel are not always superb, as you said, because if writ teachers in the U.S. are not always superb, superb yes. either. So I don't want you to feel bad about that. Our guest is Professor Jonathan Alevi. He's the, he's the Director General of Sharei Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. You're listening to The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. It's Thursday, the 21st of January, 2016, the 11th of Shvat Tavshin Ayin Vav. My name is Mayor Fertig. Thank you for spending part of your Thursday with The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We hope you'll stay tuned. Plenty more coming up today on the Nachum Siegel Network. And, of course, uh, tune in tomorrow from 6 to 9 for JM and the AM with the one and only Nahum Siegel. We're excited uh, that Shari Tzedek uh, will be the uh, scene of uh, a visit from Nahum Siegel. Uh, Nahum announced yesterday the uh, next phase of the Jewish Unity Initiative that took uh, the Nahum Siegel Network to Paris just a couple of short months ago for that major concert at the, uh, at the uh, main uh, synagogue in Paris, France. And uh, the, next, uh, the next setting for the Jewish Unity Initiative will be the State of Israel, where Nachum has been so many times, of course, and a couple of live shows from there with the uh, aim of uh, showing Jewish unity and the aim of uh, promoting tourism and encouraging people to visit Israel. Nachum always says the best way to get to Israel on a regular basis is to keep planning trips, and even if you have to push them off, 
you uh, you will get there sooner or later, and hopefully often. So uh, the next phase of this uh, Jewish Unity Initiative is coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network with a trip to Israel in early February, God willing. And we're excited that uh, one of the places Nachum plans to stop is uh, is at Sharet Tzedek Medical Center. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, you mentioned very early in uh, in our conversation, uh, Professor Halevi, you mentioned the subject of organ donation. That is such a fraught subject, halachically speaking. Uh, I remember the first time I stepped in that as a newspaper publisher in the Jewish community a bunch of years ago, and we published something about uh, about organ donation and, and the halachic organ donation, and uh, ignited a firestorm. Uh, you obviously have a far more developed sense of what uh, of what this is all about than the average person. Would you mind giving a little thumbnail sketch of, of what some of the major issues are? Yeah, well, I'll try to be brief because we don't have much time left. But uh, the basic thing is the definition of death. The medical community recognized brain death as death in every respect, exactly like cardiac death. Mm-hmm. Back in 1967, when the Harvard criteria from brain death were published. Naturally, Mm-hmm. Judaism and Jewish halacha, uh, with uh, sanctity of life be- being so central in uh, its approach, was not hasty in uh, recognizing brain death as that. But we are now in 2016, many years after 1967, and most halachic rulers recognize brain death today as that in every respect. Why is it important? It is important because the best cadaveric organ donors are patients who died in a clinical picture of brain death. We can end our life either when our heart stops or when our brain stops functioning. And the whole controversy about the cash root of organ donation revolves around the definition of brain death. How accurate? is modern medicine in guaranteeing that there is no viability mm-hmm. in any single cell of the brain, including the brainstem. And the answer to that, which is acceptable to most halachic poskim today, and uh, I, I will not list them, but I think they are famous, and they know is that today, with the modern approach to brain death, which is not based only on a flat electrical activity of the brain, a right. flat EEG, or deep coma, or the lack of the basic corneal and pupillary reflexes. It is based on an instrument called TCD, transcranial Doppler, that shows that there is no blood supply to the brain and to the brainstem. It is based on evoked potentials. You, it's not enough to have a flat electrical activity. Mm-hmm. You stimulate various regions in the brain, various areas, and you see that there is no response. So today, I think we can relieve the mind of everybody that it's a big mitzvah to sign a donor card. I think this is the place to um, mention the name Robbie Berman, who started the HOD, Halachic Organ Donation Society here in the States, and does a lot of Kiddush Hashem. But this is the controversy, because uh, organs that are harvested from uh, cadavers who finish their life with cardiac arrest, with cardiac standstill, mm-hmm. are very complicated to harvest. Many times it's too late and are much less of benefit to the recipients that organs harvested from brain-dead people. 
right. and brain death is very unusual compared to heart death. In Israel in 2015, there were 40,000 uh, deaths and only 200 were brain death. All the rest were cardiac death, and that's the proportion all over the world. For those of you who are worried from the number 40,000, I will say that we had 180,000 babies born in Israel and 20,000 olim. So put it uh, all in proportion. I think even more. Put it in so perspective. Israel is one of the few Western societies that has a growth rate of 1.8 percent a year, thanks God, which you cannot say about Europe. Right. Not at all. No. <laughs> As the uh, Europeans are finding out to their to their distress. Um, so what what is what is the solution to overcoming? hesitation about organ donation. How do you go about it? Is it just education, slowly, slowly, slowly? Well, if you're talking about this country, and we do similar things in Israel by the Israeli Transplant Authority, which I mentioned that I chaired in the past, um, societies like HOD are very important to disseminate the knowledge that I just mentioned in answering your question, because there are many myths and misconceptions about the halachic approach to brain death, about what is brain death, and so on and so forth. So dissemination of information. And again, talking to rabbis who will talk about it. And all the rabbis agree, all the halachic rulers agree, that donating a kidney from a living donor is a big mitzvah. Right. This is indisputable. We've been hearing but a lot about most, that. Yeah, but most halachic rulers today, I would say 95% of them, agree that it's a mitzvah to sign a donor card. And that's the solution to the scarcity of organs, to sign a donor card. And naturally, you have to sign it in the place where you live. So in Israel today, there are about 800,000 signatories on donor card. It's not enough. The Israeli population is 8 million people. There are 1.6 under age of 18 who are not allowed to sign. So about 11% of the adult population that are signed. In other countries in Europe, the percentage is 20 to 30. Uh, what is the uh, is there a terrible shortage of donor organs in Israel? Not ha- terrible, but there is shortage of organs. Yes, people people die every year, and they would not die if they waited. The statistics show that between ninety to one hundred people would not die today if they had organs for transplantation annually in Israel. Uh, there is a problem here. Every country in the world copes with the gap between supply and demand of organs. It is, it's a scarce commodity, so to speak. In this country, where chronic alcoholic liver disease is a public health problem, which is it is not in Israel, there is a big gap between the number of liver transplants and the number of candidates waiting. Um, it is interesting to mention that... Uh, um, an alcoholic liver disease patient is not a candidate for transplantation unless he proves under professional supervision 12 months of abstinence. Right. Yeah, I mean, to go, go to all that uh, public trouble, so to speak, to, to save their life if they're not going to take care of themselves, of it's, uh, it's kind of hard to justify. Our guest is Professor Jonathan Halevi. He is the Director General of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. And uh, Professor Halevi, we are running out of time uh, for our conversation. Is there anything uh, you'd like to add, anything I haven't asked that you think you'd like people to know? Uh, well, when you are in Jerusalem, come, uh, come and visit. You can contact I mean, to our website, our PR department. We'll be glad to host you, not as patients. You don't have to come <laughs> as patients. But just to see the facility, to see the life-saving work 
that uh, is being done there and to support us. Very good. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate your time. And this has been, uh, this has been very enlightening for me. And I hope uh, everybody who's been listening in as well has been, uh, has been interested and informed as well. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. Why don't we, uh, why don't we play something uh, that is uh, you know, uh, topical? Let's do the, the, the Diaspora Yeshiva Band with Pishuli Sharei Tzedek. It's the Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Diaspora Yeshiva Band, 
with Pishuli Sharei Tzedek on uh, the Nachum Siegel Network. This is The Stunt Show. My name is Mayor Furtick. My thanks to my guest, uh, Professor Jonathan Alevi. He is the Director General of Sharei Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. My thanks to uh, Rachel Wolf, who accompanied him. She is the uh, CEO of the American Committee for Sharei Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem where uh, last week I joined them as the uh, chief communications officer. So this was really an educational outing for me to learn about uh, to learn about the hospital from the source, and I appreciate his time. Uh, and we learned something fascinating, which is that Tu B'Shvat, which is this Monday, marks the 114th anniversary on the Jewish calendar of Shari Tzedek Medical Center, and Nachum will be there in a couple of weeks, Samir Tzahashem, as part of the Jewish Unity Initiative. He will be visiting the hospital and speaking to people there, and you'll hear the results of those conversations, no doubt, on JM in the AM at around that time. Uh, stay tuned from 2 to 5, coming up in just a couple of minutes, a Throwback Thursday edition of JM in the AM, a vintage episode of the morning program. From 7 to 8 today, an hour of Jewish soul with Charlie Bernhout, and then a JM encore, The this morning's program, that is, from midnight until 3 a.m. Eastern time, and then, of course, at 6 a.m. Eastern, Nachum is back with the Friday edition of JM in the AM, and if all goes well, we believe it should be a Malcolm Honeline with the weekly update coming up at around 7.40 Eastern on JM in the AM tomorrow morning. That uh, That is about uh, all the time we have for today, so we're going to wrap things up with with uh, the Migdal Jam from Kol Achai. My thanks to our engineer today, Yoni Pollock, an outstanding job, sir. Thank you very much. And... That wraps things up for this uh, this edition of the Stunt Show, Thursday, January 21st, 2016, the 11th of Shvat. Coming up, have a great Shabbos, everybody. Happy to be Shvat this Monday, and thank you so much. My name is Mayor Fertig. Till next time, everyone, all the best.